This podcast is intended for adult audiences only, and listener discretion is advised as we explore mature topics with a sex-positive and open-minded approach. So remember, the opinions expressed are personal and not professional. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Pineapple Express Podcast, your weekly dose of sex-positive vibes and open-minded conversations about swinging, sex work, and non-monogamy. Join us as we delve into the world of modern swingers, exploring relationships, pleasure, and empowerment. Each week, we will tackle controversial, sex-positive topics through the lens of a millennial swinger. Get ready to embrace the steamy and sensational journey ahead, and ride along with us on the Pineapple Express. Welcome to the Pineapple Express podcast, where we have the most controversial conversations. No, I'm just kidding. Probably not. Uh, but today we have um, a doctor on. She's a gynecologist and an amazing human. I was so lucky to uh, have her come on the podcast. I just randomly reached out to her and was like, you are fucking cool. Come on my podcast. I really love what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I think at first, like whenever I reach out to (laughs) doctors, like this is just my experience. Right. So they're usually like, um, are you sure? I'm like, no, you're awesome and amazing. Come on. So, um, I, Dr. Shiva G, uh, which is on uh, Instagram, I will link her. Uh, she's a gynecologist, OBGYN, cancer survivor, mom, uh, and the co-founder of the tribe called V, which is a, you know, group, uh, it's like a wellness group that helps you learn about OBGYN health, which, you know, STIs and STDs go along with that. So, uh, you know, I think they're doing a lot of really cool things in this space. uh, And I think it's just really awesome that uh, she was able to come on the podcast. We have a great conversation about STIs. We have a great conversation about vaginal health. And we have a great conversation about pregnancy because these are all three very common questions that people ask me when they ask me about joining the swinger lifestyle. How do you prevent STIs? How do you prevent pregnancy? And what happens if I'm not feeling comfortable, you know, in my vaginal health? Or how do I protect my vaginal health? How do I stay safe when I have, you know, a a very sensitive vagina? Like, you know, me personally, I also have a very sensitive vagina. So I get it. So uh, one of the things that I did want to talk about before getting into this is, you know, I think one of the common things that people ask me and they don't ask it from a place of like being I mean there's people online that say rude things right like they'll comment on my videos and be like oh my god you're filled with STDs it's like that's not how it works but anyways but a lot of people actually ask me from like a place of fear like how do you overcome the fear of STDs and STIs and some of you know and me and Dr. Shiva go over a lot of this but I just want to reiterate some things that um, STIs are very easily treated Uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia are the most common ones and those are extremely you know easy to treat Uh, STIs are pretty rare in swinging circles and um this includes especially like HIV and syphilis. Um, and STIs 
aren't always blocked by condoms, HPV. So get your vaccine, your vaccine for the Gardasil, which we talk about this on there. And uh, HSV is also one that isn't prevented, which we talk about this again. And one thing to remember is that life has risks. You can be driving in a car. You can be downhill downhill skiing. You can be skydiving. Uh, You can be doing stunts. You can be, you know, in an airplane traveling on, you know, a to a destination. Whatever it is, your life has risks. You still might get an STI. You might not. But if you do, there's most likely a treatable option. So, and I think that that's one of the things about destigmatizing swinging is also destigmatizing STIs, you guys. Like, it's a risk that we all take. Like, literally, monogamous people take this risk as well, right? Or if you're somebody who's on Tinder, like, and meeting people online dating, like, you take that risk. Um, so, I think that it's something to really, really consider. And, you know, you just really have to think about is the juice worth the squeeze um, and make sure that you take all the proper precautions, like make sure that you're vaccinated against the STIs that you can get vaccinated against, you know, hepatitis A and B and HPV. Use condoms for vaginal and anal sex and you should be using condoms for, um, you know, giving oral sex as well. I know it's not as common, but that is going to help with that risk. And, you know, make sure that you make a list of the common STDs and STIs and what the CDC recommends for that treatment. Uh, Educate yourself about STDs and STIs. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already on the right track to that. So, you know, um, you can't really be super afraid of it if you're educated on it and you understand that swingers do tend to be very sex positive individuals and they're not STIs, you know, and it's kind of like as millennials, right? Growing up, we, and everyone knows the very famous scene from Mean Girls, the, if you have sex, you're going to get AIDS and you're gonna die, right? Like that's, was just how we were raised because we were, you know, coming out of this era of, um, you know, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. So when we were in school, like we were taught in health class and in abstinence education, like we were taught, you're going to get an STD. That's what they called them then. So we actually call them STIs, which me and Dr. Shiva go into this, but you're going to get an STD and you're going to die. If you have sex, this is just going to happen to you. And so I think that that's kind of been something that we've been ingrained with, especially like within our subconscious. And we have to remember that like STIs are common. I know many people who've had gonorrhea or chlamydia or, uh, you know, something that was treatable. Um, There's so many people who have mouth herpes, right? HSV-1, it's very, very common. Um, So it's it's one thing to think about that. Like, you know, are 
STDs as scary or sorry, STIs as scary as they may seem? And the answer is most likely no. Uh, They're not as common as we think. And it's always important to like talk with your play partners about their STI status. Hey, when was last time you got tested? Hey, do you have a copy of your last test? Maybe on your my chart? You know, that's really okay and a common thing to do. Nobody's going to be like, oh, fuck these people. They care about sexual health. Like, no, no one's, it's, it's a part of communication and it's a part of trust with your partner. And that's the one, or in your partners, you know, and that's the one thing about this, you know, as long as you are wearing protection and taking all the precautions, educating yourself, the risk is pretty rare and at least it's mitigated. Um, And, you know, a lot of people in the lifestyle, you know, not everybody is at events dropping their pants and ready to fuck at orgies. I know that we hear about this all the time, maybe in other podcasts or in other, um, you know, content creators. But I'm here to tell you, like, it's, it's not like that in the lifestyle, you guys, like everybody has their small circles. And it's the same people having sex with the same people usually. And it's very rare that like new people get let in for, you know, full on penetration. And when they do, like these conversations are had, you really trust those people, right? Um, So one of the big things to really think about, though, is BV and how common BV is and how it is technically an STI and it's transferred. And we talk about that a lot. But, you know, again, uh, it's you can't not do something that you really, really want to do because you're afraid of the risk. You know, because there's, again, risks with everything. I would be more concerned about the risk to, like, my mental health or my relationship or, like, you know, that sort of risk as opposed to the actual STD and STI risk. But it's definitely something for you and your partner to talk about and um, really have a good mindset when it comes to protection and and all that, you know, uh, but it's definitely educating yourself about prevention, risks, methods, and treatments, getting tested regularly, and using preventative measures like vaccinations and PrEP and whatnot. So if you are concerned about this, this is definitely the podcast for you. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Shiva. And without further ado, here we are. But before we get into that, I would love to tell you guys some words from my sponsors. Guys, these sponsors make it so that I am able to continue on with the podcast. So if you hear something that sounds good or sounds like, oh, I could use that or that would be interesting to me. I've got websites on here, uh, you know, apps. I've got uh, clothing. I've got lubes and different sex toys. And of course, I have STI testing, which I believe in shameless care. And one of the big reasons why I believe in shameless care is because they are a lifestyle brand and they're doing everything that they can to keep us safe. And they test for STDs and STIs. You know, guys, they do a mouth swab, which a lot of your doctors won't do, which me and Dr. Shiva talk about this in this episode. So please, guys, If you're coming up, you know, on your three months or whenever getting tested, I would highly recommend Shameless Care because they're the brand that I use and I absolutely love them and they keep me safe. They keep all of us in the lifestyle safe. So a link for them is in my bio and or in the show notes and everything else is also in the show notes. And remember, anything that you purchase 
from any of my sponsors helps keep my podcast going, helps keeping me, you know, in my content creating going and it helps so that I can educate and support the community. So thank you guys so much for always listening and being supportive. Hey, Upside Down Pineapple people. Join the millions of couples enjoying amazing sex with Promescent. I personally love their variety of products they offer and their aloe-based lube is the only lube I've ever used that doesn't throw off my pH. Brad loves their delay spray, which is clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. Their products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping on orders in the U.S. over $10. Their shipping is discreet and private, which is perfect for us in the swinger lifestyle. Make sure that you go to www.promescent.com backslash Kylie for all your discreet sexual health needs. My link is in the show notes. Promescent helps you live your best upside down pineapple life. I get asked all the time, how do I get into the non-monogamous lifestyle? And I've got the solution for you. It's the three fun app. It's the best dating app for couples and singles looking to explore open relationships. It's totally millennial friendly, aka it's in the 21st century, you guys. This is finally a dating app for us non-monogamous folks who are looking for a unicorn, maybe you're looking for a bull, maybe you're looking for a couple. This is my favorite app and I use it all the time. If you wanna find a link to it, just go to www.sexyswingerchick.net and you'll find my link. Hope to see you guys there. Introducing The Sultry Vixen, your one-stop shop for all your sex work and rave wear needs. Whether you're hitting the pole or the festival scene, The Sultry Vixen has got you covered. From dance shoes to box outfits, custom dance outfits, and lingerie to vibrant festival outfits, they've got the perfect gear to make you shine. Stand out with their neon rave accessories and all of their costumes that will take your festival experience to the next level. And they also carry men's and plus sizes. They are a family-owned and operated ravewear slash dancewear shop located in Riverside, California. The quickest rate, way to reach them is directly through their Instagram. Visit thesultryvixen.com today for the hottest trends in dance and rave fashion. Dance more and glow more with The Sultry Vixen. If you're like us, you want a naughty lifestyle without risk. You want to have sex with other couples, some of whom you barely know, and walk away scotch-free. No STDs or other complications. You want to have your cake and eat it too. We want that for you too. Shameless Care offers lifestyle-specific at-home STD testing and prescription ED medications, and we should be your lifestyle medical provider. Use coupon code CHIC, that's C-H-I-C, at checkout. All right, welcome to the podcast, my Pineapple Express friends. So today I have a very special guest. So I have Dr. Shiva G. So uh, I actually reached out to her via like Instagram. I found her on Instagram and loved her content. And I was like, hey, would you come on my podcast? So uh, Dr. Shiva, welcome. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it, honestly. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, it's, listen, here's the truth. It's really fun to talk about this stuff because I'm so used to talking about perimenopause and menopause and pregnancy. And I actually really love talking, especially about herpes and HPV. I mean, we'll talk about all of it, but those are things that I tend to talk about a lot anyway in my own patient population. So to be able to do it on a podcast is great. Yeah. Yeah, So 
if you want to do me a huge favor and introduce yourself in your own words and just provide an overview of all of your experience, your expertise, and kind of, you know, all about sexual health and wellness. Well, so I have actually been an OBGYN for 25 years this year, which shocks me because I joke like I feel I feel still young and immature, <laughs> but it's been 25 years. I came into medicine a little bit later than many people because I did not take pre-meds as an undergrad. I was sure that I didn't want to be a doctor. My parents were doctors. They were very careful about not forcing us to do it unless we loved it. And so I didn't start my pre-meds until I finished college. And I kind of did it because I had no idea what else I wanted to do. But as luck would have it, I ended up loving what I do because not even because of the science or the medicine, but because I really love engaging with people. And so it's a great way for me to use this medium to help engage. And the added benefit is knowing that I get to help people. And so I think you probably agree, I mm -hmm. think, if you've thought about this, that the majority of what makes anxiety for us as, I will say as women, but as humans in general, men and women and everyone in between, is lack of knowledge. Because when we yeah. don't have knowledge, then we freak out. And so mm -hmm. the biggest part of my career that I love is getting to preemptively -edu pre educate people either on the internet or my own patients about it. And I came to it not only by being a doctor, but what you touched upon, I've had a lot of personal experiences. So I had HPV when I was 22. I mean, that's what I found out, I should say, I had HPV, like 90% of us. I've had nine pregnancies with three babies and six miscarriages and endometriosis and ovarian cancer, among so many other things. And I think each of those experiences really helped me relate to people even better because I really understand the psyche of not just having any kind of illness, but the anxiety attached to it that, mm -hmm. again, is usually related to things that involve lack of knowledge. So that's why I'm here. And that's why I really that, that, that's why I actually think there's a lot of good that can come from social media, despite all of the ills, because people like you and I can be out here educating and helping. I agree. I mean, especially like, you know, if we if we think about non-monogamy and swinging, you know, we, we're having this boom right now of everyone's really like talking about it, right? Because it's it's new, but it's also becoming, you know, something that's somewhat normalized in our society. And I really, I don't want to say blame, but social media has a big part of that. So with all of that, you know, with the the media coverage and so many people on social media talking about it, you're also going to get a lot of eyes on you. And what that means is you're going to get a lot of those eyes that are like saying negative things. And one of like the the biggest negative comments I would say all non-monogamous creators get is the STD comment that we're spreading STDs and that, you know, we're or STDs, STIs, you know, um, and so I I want to just like dive into that conversation and because that is like the top question that swingers get and that I get from swingers is how do you protect yourself from STDs and STIs? And, you know, first I want to talk about what is the difference between STDs and STIs? Because when I was growing up, we learned STDs. STD, yeah. And I will say when I was growing up as a doctor, we said STDs. So to me, STD flows more easily because it was the word I was used to saying. But the truth is, it was it, the the idea is that disease sounds very negative and pejorative and fear-mongering. And this is not a, none of these, um, well, I shouldn't say none of them, some of them, and we'll, we'll tease them apart. Some of them can be lifelong diseases, but in general, these are infections. And we need to know about that because there are ways where we can prevent infections and there are ways where we can treat infections. And some of them will turn into diseases, but most of them are infections. 
um, that can be helped. And so the idea is we don't want to use the term STD to really further scare people. The second part that I always talk about that I can't stand when people say, and actually it's my own young patients who say it to me is, oh, well, I don't know where I got that from. The guy I was having sex with was clean. Mm-hmm. And I always say, no, no, no. Not only should we as the medical providers not be using terms like clean or dirty, because that really is so patriarchal and, and terrible, but yeah. the people themselves should not be using those terms because none of this has to do with being clean or dirty. Yes. Some of it might have to do with the fact that you had sex with millions of people and you didn't protect yourself, but that's not even mm-hmm. dirty. That just means, okay, you either went into it eyes wide open, knowing what you could catch, or you didn't think about it. And now let's educate you, but none of it should be clean or dirty. So I really hope you guys and all of your community really refrain from using those terms because I think it will just further the stigma about sexuality in general, whether it's- Yeah, right? that and you know what? It's so funny because I'll read swinger profiles, clean, clean couple, clean couple, clean couple, Terrible. Um, no dirty couples. And oh. that is such a common phrase. And I've I've talked about this before. This is not the first time this has been brought up. It's because that just further stigmatizes it when we use that sort of it's the it's all about language. Mm-hmm. So maybe instead of saying clean couple, we could say uh, you know, couple who prioritizes uh testing and protection. Right. You know, in a swinger setting, instead of saying clean, clean. you know, we, or we dirty. We need like a good nuggetable word that has like the title for responsible. I mean, it truly has to do with responsibility, right? Meaning because no matter how responsible you are, you might still get something, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that. The things that you might get no matter how responsible you are. That doesn't mean you're dirty. And mm-hmm. if you were irresponsibly got something, again, doesn't mean you're dirty. So I think it need, there needs to be a better term. Someone come up with that term. Let's figure out a good We'll term. think about it. We'll okay. think about it. Um, so speaking on that, what are the most common STIs that individuals in the swinger community can contract? Well, let me first just say, I we're going to be talking about the swing, swinger community because this is Pineapple Express, but a lot of the things we're going to talk about have this, they're the same issues that I would talk about in people who are embarking on a monogamous relationship as well, which are, there are several STIs. I like to to separate them into buckets as far as which ones are more easily preventable, which ones are easier to treat, which ones are more concerning. Um, and I say to people all the time, I say to all of my own patients, when they look at me kind of wide-eyed, like, oh my God, but I could get all these things. It sounds so scary. And I try to talk to them. Ideally, if I see a patient in my office before they've even embarked on any sexual activity, that would be ideal to teach them. But they mm-hmm. kind of look at me scared. And I always say, listen, these are not scary. And if it seems so scary to you, then that might be a sign that you're not yet mature enough to embark on a sexual escapade. <laughs> so instead, look at it as, I'm going to try to prevent the things I can. I'm going to recognize the things I can't prevent. The things I can't prevent are not going to harm me most likely and move through it from there. If you say to me, I don't want to get anything. It's so scary. Then my response is then just don't have sex at all. Like not oral, not vaginal, not anal. Don't even kiss people. But that's not realistic. So I think again, to the swinging community and to the monogamous community, it's the same, same discussion. Uh, Okay. So the, the buckets that I like to discuss, because I think, it's really important to recognize that you cannot pigeonhole and say like, oh, you're educated and you are wealthy, therefore you're not going to get HIV or hepatitis. But it's also safe to say there are certain STIs that are much more prevalent and much more common. We know that HIV, hepatitis B and C, and syphilis are less common than, for example, gonorrhea and chlamydia for the Mm -hmm. most part. That said, 
they're also the ones that we'd like to prevent the most because HIV, syphilis, and hepatitis B and C are the ones that can kind of cause most concerning long-term issues, but they can be easily preventable. So that bucket to me is really, really don't want them, but really easy to prevent by using condoms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no other way other than if you were in a high-risk category where you wanted to take prophylactic medication. Um, and that's actually not a bad idea for people who are not going to use condoms. And that only really works for HIV. So that so, is, and that's like prep, right? Prep, exactly. Okay. Right. So, and so again, that bucket, you don't want it, but you can really prevent it with using condoms. The second bucket I always talk about is gonorrhea and chlamydia. Really common. Of course you don't want it, but the truth is long-term effects are not that high if you catch it early, which we'll talk about how to catch it early later and you treat it. So again, how do we prevent it? Easy condoms. We will talk about withdrawal a little bit. But- I actually had gonorrhea when I was 18. I I caught it when I was 18. I think I caught it from an ex-boyfriend, but I also might have caught it from um a female. Uh cuz we didn't, you know, female condoms are less Yeah. either they're less likely to be used. Um so there was two options and th- I caught it early. And um, I was in a relationship at the time when I caught it. Uh, well, it was it was like a situationship, right? And he didn't catch it yet. So it was like real, real early. I got really, really lucky. So thank goodness for that. But like it is, I mean, when you're 18 years old, like it's, that's kind of a normal thing, right? You know, 18 to 24 is the it's, most common age for that. Common. I, mean, I mean, that's why the guidelines from the CDC are really only to screen for people under 25 routinely and then over 25 only if they have risk factors, which to me is kind of ridiculous. And they don't even advocate for screening men under 25. Really, only adv- they only advocate for women. screening women, which is also crazy. Would um, you say that being a swinger is kind of a risk factor? Uh, I mean, yes unless you are 100% of the time using condoms. And even then it's not 100% preventative, but I would argue that if you're using condoms 100% of the time as a swinger versus serial non-monogamous, I mean, serial monogamous relationships without condoms, mm-hmm. you're probably at less risk, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So the, the simple answer to all this is condoms, which I understand are not what everyone desires to use. Um, right. But But that third bucket, which is kind of the most important bucket in a way to me, is herpes and HPV, because herpes and HPV, as you know, incredibly common. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get it, but actually very hard to completely prevent. Because even if you you, were, you said, I'm going to use a condom, I'm going to use a dental dam, I'm going to actually use condoms on my sex toys, and I'm going to use gloves if I do anything with my hands, you mm-hmm. still are potentially going to get it through skin-to-skin transmission outside of all those things. So again, those are the three like general buckets to talk about. And they're the same, again, for any community of anyone having sex. Yes, there are certain communities that are at higher risk, but in general, these are the things that we need to try to avoid and try to test for so that if we get them, we can catch them early. Because that's the other part I wish everyone really got. If you decide that you're going to take certain risks because you say, listen, I just don't like condoms. Okay, that is your choice. I'm here to educate. You can choose that, but then be more compulsive about testing regularly Mm -hmm. and not freaking out. (laughs) That is the key, right? People all at once want to have sex. They don't want to use condoms. They don't want to get tested and they want to freak out when they find out that they have something. It's kind of like COVID. I always say like, I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't want to wear a mask. I want to go out to a party and I don't want to get tested. And by the way, if I do get tested and have COVID, I want to freak out about it. It just seems not mature, right? (laughs) Like, right. 
let's be linear and figure out how we can protect ourselves best any which way. Absolutely. I totally agree. And so talking about, and I think we can probably start with like, you know, the first bucket and go down. What are like the key signs and symptoms? And I know in a lot of these, especially for women, there's not a lot of symptoms, but if you could just kind of give us an overview of like the key signs and symptoms of all of these and what to look for. Okay. So HIV, hepatitis, and syphilis, you you probably know this. Again, the signs and symptoms are more dire and it can take longer. Mm -hmm. So HIV, you would maybe not know at all until you really started having repetitive infections. Syphilis, you really might not know at all. I mean, for decades, although acutely you might now notice, for example, sores on your hands or rash on your body. Hepatitis B and C, again, you might not notice at all for a long time, but you might all of a sudden, for example, develop a viral, like kind of Mm -hmm. achy joints, achy everywhere, as if you just have a regular virus. And then your liver function tests are really elevated, for example. But those are, again, those are the ones that are less likely to get. And I really would personally say, if you are embarking on frequent sexual encounters with more than one monogamous person, meaning whether you're swinging or polyamorous or just single and not having monogamous, and even if you're monogamous, we know that people cheat, right? Right. So for all of these reasons, I would advocate for if you're regularly having sex, get tested regularly. The Mm -hmm. the guidelines from the CDC are pretty broad, but if you know you're in a category where you're having frequent sex, get tested every three months, every six months, every 12 months, because it's so easy to do it as long as you're kind of get into the routine. Um, Right. And and I do, I think that 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 can change person to person, couple to couple, mm -hmm. because like me and my partner will go to swinger events, but we'll go like six to eight months without swapping partners you know mm-hmm. where we don't meet a couple that we so I really and then there's couples who are like at the swinger club every weekend and they have a new new couple and they're not using condoms right so like th- I feel like that the testing because everyone always asks me like how often do you get tested and it's like that's gonna be different for me and my partner because we have a different way of swinging and our dynamic is different as opposed to right. you know the couple who's swinging all the time you know the only concern I have with that, because it's analogous to, let's say, when a, a heterosexual patient of mine who is in a new relationship, she mm-hmm. never had sex before, she's you know in her teens, she's with one person. And she says to me, well, I don't need to get tested because I don't need to use condoms and I don't need to get tested because mm-hmm. this is my first experience. And this was his first, let's say. But the truth is, then once you get to the second partner in your life, which maybe is two months later or two years later, now you're already in the habit of not using the condoms and not testing. So I would say the same thing to you and your partner, right? Like you, you might go six to eight months with the same, the same people and you don't think you need to be tested. But then mm-hmm. all of a sudden year, the second year, you kind of have changed partners two or three times every, every other month just because of circumstances, but you're already not in the habit. So I would okay. actually rather, I mean, in a perfect pie in the sky world, I would say to all of us, let's just routinely get tested. But that's yeah. very unrealistic. But I certainly think in people, I mean, and it sounds like what you're telling me is that the swinging community is very intentional and purposeful for the most part. It is not this community of people who don't give a crap about it and they're just walking around spreading STIs, as many people would think. They want to be responsible and intentional so they can really enjoy this in in a way that makes sense. So I would really say maybe a good push would be to encourage everyone to kind of regularly get tested. Regularly might differ from every three months to every six months to every 
maybe a year, but I think at least every three to six months makes more sense mm-hmm. because then you don't need to question it. You just have it right. on your schedule. You just go in. And it's, it and it's, it's routine. It's, you know, even if you're using, like we always use condoms, even if you're always using condoms, um, you know, it's, it's a routine. You go to the OBGYN, yeah. you know, and my OBGYN is super cool. He's super open. He's a gay man. So he's like, he gets it and yeah. he's just like, let's go, let's do yeah. this, you know? <laughs> And that so. would really think about how destigmatizing that would be if we made it so routine and normal. You're gonna get tested mm-hmm. every six months. Just come on in. You don't need a whole visit. You just need to come in, get your test done. Then you'll get a phone call. It could be a telehealth. I mean, things like that. And now there's so many more at-home tests and things. So I think there's a lot of ways to do it that would be far better. And again, I say this not to the swinging community only. Everything I'm saying could extrapolate to any any sexually active community. Yeah. If you're sex positive, which this is a sex positive podcast, if you're sex positive or you're anybody who's sexually, you know, having sex, right? Like this is for all of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So you you were talking about um, syphilis, um, HIV. So what about like gonorrhea and chlamydia? Like what are the signs and symptoms for those ones? So gonorrhea and chlamydia, which again, let's remind everyone, much more common, very Mm -hmm. common, much less likely to cause long-term harm, but they both can cause, I hate the word harm, but they can affect men and women if Mm -hmm. not treated. And the downside is they can be very frequently asymptomatic, right? So you can have symptoms of burning when you pee, vaginal discharge, penile discharge, urgency, those symptoms like in your lower genital tract, we call it, but you could be completely asymptomatic. I will tell you that the majority of patients in my practice who I have who I've diagnosed and treated had no symptoms. They were just there for the routine screening. That's what happened with me. Yeah, I had no symptoms of gonorrhea at all. Um, and I just was routinely getting screened. I was getting like my pap smear and I was like re-upping my birth control at the time and they routinely screened me and I, they were like, Hey girl, uh, you have gonorrhea. And I'm like, let's treat it. Yeah. So those, I wouldn't wait for symptoms. I would say to the whole community and anyone again, having sex at all, please get treated, please get tested so that you can get treated. Because once you get treated, they're both very treatable. Mm-hmm. They both are less likely to cause any issues. The concern more so with chlamydia, but also with gonorrhea is that you can get pelvic inflammatory disease, which is where the infection goes up into your uterus and then can not only cause really a, a potentially dangerous acute infection where you really are sick, but more often it will cause a low level infection that you might not even know about that can actually scar the uterine lining or the tubes. And that can make it either harder to get pregnant if you decide to get pregnant or increase the chance of things like an ectopic pregnancy. So it's really important to get tested and treated, but it's very easy to get tested and treated. Um, So that I would really encourage. And then- So with uh, these two, I want to ask a question about the throat. So this one, I'm going to be honest with you. Every time there's penetration even talked about, condoms are like a must in the swinger community any i mean in my communities that i've been involved with but when it comes to oral sex yeah we there i have never seen somebody pull i've never even seen a dental dam before and i have seen guys wear condoms um to you know receive oral i have seen that uh but it's very rare 
So can we talk a little bit about throat and can we talk about chlamydia and gonorrhea in the throat? Because I think that that's more common than, than we think, but also not. Uh, I would say, so I have like a whole list of things where I jokingly call them over under in medicine, things that are Mm -hmm. all at once, probably overdiagnosed and are over worried about and underdiagnosed in this case. So I think that it's probably far less diagnosed than we know because the Mm -hmm. majority of people are not getting their throat swabbed. I would say no one I know uses a dental dam, right? I mean, I talk about it with my patients, but I've had I've had one patient in 25 years who said, oh yeah, I use a dental dam and I really believe her. No one else is gonna like use it and not say it, right? So people are not using dental dams. I don't think they're using condoms during oral sex, but they're not getting swabbed for chlamydia or gonorrhea orally. Similarly, the symptoms are mild or non-existent. So you might have a sore throat. You might have a little bit of a cough. But again, most of us, if we had a soft, sore throat or a cough, are not thinking it's gonorrhea or chlamydia unless we're hyper aware and then going in to get swabbed for it. And just I did know. one time. Okay. I did. But, I, but that's I had like you a, were aware. I had a chronic sore throat, and it was because I, I was just it was a virus. It was viral, and I went to like three different doctors, and I'm like, please swab me for gonorrhea and chlamydia. I think I have it because my throat, you know, hurts really bad, and I was hyper. Yeah. I was hyper aware. And it was just funny. I I went in there and they're like, well, why do you think you have it? And I'm like, listen, man, I'm a swinger. Like, I, you know, this is like common. And and they were kind of like, you know, they looked at me funny, but it was like, I was very aware of, yeah. of it. And I, one of my swinger friends had told me a story about how they had got throat. Uh, it was gonorrhea of the throat. And mm-hmm. so then I was just like hyper aware for like six yeah. months of it. <laughs> well, and two things to touch upon that you touched upon. Uh, one, you do need to ask for it. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I had a throat culture and it came out negative. I don't got gonorrhea and chlamydia, but that's not true because you need a separate swab. Like usually when they're swabbing for your throat, they're looking for strep throat. So that's one, Uh, regular strep, not gonorrhea. So the second thing is that the good news, I don't want to dissuade people from getting tested. Of course, if you want to be tested, you should be tested for it. And if you have a persistent sore throat, you should see your doctor anyway, because there can Mm -hmm. be other things in your throat. But the truth is, it's not really such a source of harm, right? There's nothing in your throat that when you get gonorrhea or chlamydia, it's it's not going to lead to other long-term health issues the way it could in your genital tract. So I don't want to advocate for blowing it off, but I also don't want to increase anxiety and stress and certainly fear when it's not so necessary, right? Right. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the last part is the herpes and HPV which again, this is the big one. Yeah. This is the big one because this is the most common. Like if I say to all the, the people I see in my pregnant in my office who've never had sex before, I will bet that at some point in your life, one doctor will say to you, or you will come to the doctor and say, I think I have herpes or HPV, or we will call you and say, Oh, turns out you have them. And I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to think it's terrible. I don't want you to think it's scared. It doesn't mean anything about who you are. It's not going to cause harm most likely. So let's tease those two apart. HPV, which is human papillomavirus, which as you know, can cause genital warts. It can cause warts in your throat. So that is actually sometimes of concern. Um, or it can cause abnormal pap smears for women or for people with a cervix. And for men, in theory, it can cause penile cancer, right? Because we, that's why we care about HPV is that it can cause cervical cancer, vaginal and vulvar cancer, head and neck cancers, and anal cancer and penile cancer. So that's why we care about it. 
But the number of us that will have HPV is massive. Like 90% of us in our lifetime will be exposed to HPV. The number of us that will have any of the cancers I listed is still pretty small. And especially mm-hmm. for people with a cervix, you will get screened. So if you go to your gynecologist regularly, you'll get screened with a pap smear every one to five years, depending on your age and different factors. So I say to people all the time, I want you to know about it. And I don't want you to be scared of it because there are things you can do. You can get screened. You can use condoms, which will minimize the chance. It won't eliminate it because again, it's skin to skin. So even the skin around the condom, you can get exposed to it. And the third, and I really should put it at first because it's so important, you can get vaccinated with the Gardasil Mm -hmm. vaccine that guards against nine of the strains of the HPV virus. So please, 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 all of you who are having sex, whether you're swinging or monogamous, get your HPV vaccine if you have not already. And you can get that up to how old? 40, 45? Now 45. It used to be 26 and now they extend it to 45. And men can get it, right? And men can and should get it. Young boys are being offered. They should be offered just like girls because they're giving it to us and we're giving it to them. Everyone's giving it to each other. So (laughs) when I was 13 or 14, it came out, right? Mm -hmm. This was in like the early 2000s. And I, my mom had me get it and my mom was always real sex positive. So I got it at that age. So my question is now as a 32 year old adult, should mm-hmm. I get it? Because that was like the first version I of know. it, you know? Such a good question. And so the one you got was Gardasil 4, and now mm-hmm. they have Gardasil 9. And so there isn't great data about revaccinating. So the guidelines right now would still say, if you got vaccinated back when you were supposed to in the 2000s, just stick with that. Would there be harm in revaccinating? Probably not, but they just haven't done enough data yet to say it. And mm-hmm. that's the same thing with women over 45. There's really no data in women over 45. So the, so the FDA is only approved up to 45. But the truth is, if I had someone who is embarking on a new sexual um, involvement after age 50, I would say, go ahead and get it. We don't have data, but again, the odds of harm are very small. Okay. Um, and then herpes, which is probably the biggest conundrum because I assume you see this a lot in your community that there is a disproportionate amount of anxiety and and almost, I feel like there should be a term for like herpes depression because I see people get so deeply affected by it, which makes me sad because the odds of it causing harm are low. There are certain harmful things with herpes, but rare. The odds of having it are pretty high. Mm -hmm. The odds of having it without knowing it are extremely high. And the odds that it means that you were careless are actually incredibly low. Meaning of all the STIs, (laughs) herpes and HPV are the two where I'm like, I believe you that use condoms 100% of the time that you only had sex with one person. You still could get herpes and HPV. So I really implore people not to be too upset or sad about it, but also to understand it and learn about it. And, you know, to me, it's one of those acceptable risks. Like I would say, you drive a car, you're going to potentially have a risk of a car accident, but you're going to be appropriate about wearing your seatbelt and not being drunk or texting while you drive and all those things. Same thing. If you are having sex and being very cautious, you should accept there's still a chance of herpes and HPV, while all the other ones, there's still a small chance, but much less. Again, just using condoms will minimize the risk of all of these, but especially all the first ones we talked about, the first two. And I think that there's a lot of shame. And this is from my, from what I've seen, I get messages from people all the time about how, you know, they, they have herpes and they want to get into the lifestyle, 
but they're just not sure how to go about it. And my advice, and I don't know if this is the right advice, is to, to tell the couple that you're talking with or that you, you know, you met online, let them know, hey, I, I have genital herpes. Um, it's your choice, you know, to take that risk. But if you're not comfortable taking that risk, then that's fine. But you might find that there's a good majority of people who will also be like, oh, I also have genital herpes. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I know okay. within the swinger community, there's also herpes communities. And I really think that this is a good thing. And the reason why I think this is a good thing is because I think that this helps deal with shame. You know, having these communities, having people be open about it mm -hmm. is the most important thing. And having other people who deal with that as well, you know, that's I like if if they're I guess giving it back and forth for you already have it yeah. you know that's better yes. than giving it to somebody who doesn't have it right I mean yes that makes I sense? agree I think totally makes sense I guess here are the little things that I would like um, add to that I think mm -hmm. well first of all you probably know this you can take prophylaxis so let's say you know you carry herpes either because you've had a sore or because you've been blood tested for it and are totally asymptomatic. And we know that even asymptomatically, the virus can shed, which is by the way, as I tell my own patients who are filled with like shock, <laughs> I always say, I believe you that you had sex with someone who didn't have a gaping sore. That's how mm -hmm. most of us get herpes, right? Is because we either kissed someone and got oral herpes when we were young and innocent. It could have been a, a family relation that you kissed mm -hmm. on the cheek or used glasses, or it could have been that you had, you got genital herpes from herpes one or two. But again, you don't have to have the sores. So let's say you have herpes, you either get it actively or you just find out you have it through blood tests. You can take medications like valcyclovir, acyclovir daily to decrease the chance of any viral shedding. It won't eliminate it, but it decreases it and use condoms. And then you'll really decrease the risk of giving it to someone. Now that doesn't solve the oral sex issue, which many people are getting it through oral sex. And so while I think it's great to have communities, whether they're swinger communities or just sexual communities where people are open about the herpes and kind of like match herpes to herpes people, I think that's wonderful on one hand. On the other hand, in a way, it kind of, it's like, I don't know if you're young enough to remember that the star-bellied sneeches from Dr. Seuss, it was a book where like half of the sneeches, these animals mm -hmm. had stars on their belly and half didn't. And it kind of labeled them. And so- on one hand, it's allowing people to talk about it and feel free. On the other hand, we're still labeling them. And furthermore, everyone in the like non-herpes group think that they're clean and that they're fine. When in reality, I'll bet a lot of them have never been tested or mm -hmm. they mistakenly think that because they don't have symptoms that they don't carry it. So they're right. still going to be transmitting it. So I think I, I wish it were simple. It's not simple. I think the best thing we can do is talk about it much more frequently and openly so that there is a lot less stigma, shame, anxiety, fear, all those things, right? Yeah. And yeah, so that we don't have to have these. Yeah. yeah. And I think having these groups, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, there's enough shame and stigma associated with swinging anyways. And then when we further, you know, kind of outcast them from the community. Um, but I do, I do know that that is like a common fear for people who d have been diagnosed with herpes, um, which in reality, 90% of the population has herpes one or two. Yeah. Well, I mean, the data is lower than that. HPV, 90% of us have been exposed to it. The data is lower, but the truth is, I've always said, I think the data is probably underreporting it because millions mm -hmm. of people are not tested for it. Do you, and I think you probably know this, in the CDC guidelines, 
Herpes is not part of the screening guidelines. We are not supposed to be screening for herpes routinely. Oh, I, I know. Actually, I think that's actually problematic. I understand why. There's a lot of other things that go into screening tests that we have to be really mindful of from a population um, and and that type of the issues with money and things like that. But I think if we talked about it more frequently and more people got screened, then it would be a lot less stigmatized, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there is so much further we could go. I always have to fight for my herpes test. Yeah. I, and I don't have to fight my now doctor about it, but I always have to really, really advocate for myself. They'll be like, well, we don't like routinely screen for herpes. Um, and then I'm like, well, we're going to routinely screen me for herpes yeah. because of, you know, I'm high risk. And then, you know, but I always, ever since I've started swinging, you know, and that's the thing about finding um, a gynecologist in an OBGYN is like, if if you aren't, if you don't feel comfortable advocating for these types of things and having these conversations, then A, you should not be doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Or B, you got to find somebody who you feel comfortable with. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I would say this for for all doctors across all of these issues, none of these are things that we as doctors should ever judge, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, regardless if it's something that we would do or wouldn't do, I mean, and I say that across the board about a million different things, right? It has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with everything. Uh, the doctor, we shouldn't be in a position to judge. We're here to objectively help and, mm -hmm. and ideally to teach, but we just don't have the time to teach, which is the hard part. I do think it's valuable to understand why the doctors would say, well, we don't routinely screen for it, right? Because they recognize that if they screen for everyone and then they have to call and say, hey, it turns out, Kylie, you carry it, which by the way, I'm one of the doctors who would screen for it, but I would tell patients preemptively, which meant that it was adding like an extra 10 minutes for every exam that I would talk to them about it. And that's hard, right? And mm -hmm. so people, you know, there's a lot of complications in the medical field. So match that to sexually transmitted infections, to swinging, all of it, it becomes a real big conundrum. For sure. Um, so we don't have to like go into like a lot of detail about this question because I feel like it's kind of common sense as an adult having sex, you know, uh, how, you know, what are the best contraception methods when it comes to preventing pregnancy? I've never heard of a swinger. People are always like, oh my God, aren't you worried that you're going to get pregnant from another guy? And it's like, okay, well, like, I'm using condoms. I have the, you know, I'm really good about birth control. A lot of these guys in the lifestyle have gotten uh, their nuts snipped, right? Like Perfect. if yeah. they've gotten, um, you know, vasectomy. Yeah. A, yeah, I couldn't yep. think of the word. I don't know yep. why, but a vasectomy. Um, a lot of them are no longer planning on having children. Now, Not that's not to say all of them, right? Because right. we have a, a plethora of age ranges within the swinger lifestyle, but it's just, it's always so interesting to me. Like, this is a very common sense question. And I think it's a little bit different than STDs and STIs because, well, STIs, not STDs. It's just yeah. second nature, I right? I know, I know. But I think it's it's more common, you know, for, for people, like it's, it's less gray area, right? Like yeah. STIs is kind of a gray area. This is yeah. really easy. So can you just, you know, go through contraception methods other than obviously we know what a vasectomy is, yeah. right? Well, like I this. do. And listen, I think it's great if people have vasectomies, but the, but the truth is I would still say to any person with a uterus, even if you're with in a swing community where you think a lot of them have vasectomies, you never, mm -hmm. not, I'm not saying you never know. I'm not saying people are lying, but you just never know. I think it's always good for know. each of us. I think that every single human should try to protect themselves and if it's double protection, belt and suspenders, great. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a gamut, but you could go on birth control pills or birth control ring or birth control patch. Those are the combined oral contra- combined hormone contraceptions, we call them. You can use progesterone-only pills. And all those forms of contraception are really effective. But as you know, they're not going to stop any STI. So if you use any of those, you still have to use condoms. Mm-hmm. You could do an IUD, an intrauterine device, like the Paragard, which is the copper IUD, which can make your period a little heavier and crampier, but it's a great form of birth control. It lasts 10 years. Or one of the progesterone IUDs, which make your period light or non-existent. And those can last anywhere from three to eight years right now in the Mm -hmm. US. Um, The downside to the IUD is you have to be even more compulsive about not getting gonorrhea and chlamydia. Because if you have gonorrhea and chlamydia with an IUD, then they can climb up the string up into the uterine lining and cause a worse pelvic infection. So no one wants gonorrhea and chlamydia, but especially with an IUD, you do not want that. So what about, I have the Nexplanon. So, and I love, I'm a big advocate for the Nexplanon. Every girly that's like, I have never had any issues with the Nexplanon. The worst issue I've had with it is, so my periods are a little sporadic. I'll be honest, right? Like I- sometimes I'll go six months, no period, four months, no period. Sometimes I will have two periods and they always coexist with the moon, by the way, because I'm a spiritual girly as well. Mm -hmm. So like I always have one full moon and new moon, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know why, (laughs) but um, so that's really the only, and then like the pain of the injection site is small. small. Yeah. yeah, And it lasts like two days. It's a little bit, you know, um, I wouldn't recommend going to yoga the day that you get it put in, which I did. It wasn't smart, but like, I I think that for me personally, that's been the best contraception method. Yeah. Well, so, and so the other two are progesterone only. So there's a progesterone only injectable, which is every three months, Depo-Provera is what it's called in America or Nexplanon like you have, which is a little insert that goes typically in your arm. Mm-hmm. And it's about an inch long and then it gets removed every three years. You can get a new one in. That's also progesterone only. I would say the downside to the every three month shot, which is so easy and wonderful. You just go to the doctor's office every three months, get a shot, leave. The downside is it can really cause weight gain because the yeah, high that to can me. make you hungrier. Yeah. Next mm-hmm. one on theoretically causes less hunger and therefore less weight gain. And I would say anecdotally, I've seen that in our practice. I've also seen patients still feel a little hungrier than they did with an IUD or the pill potentially, but it, but it's variable. Um, and I certainly think it is easier, but a lot of patients don't like what you touched upon, just that, that irregularity that they can't predict mm-hmm. with their period. And again, that does not happen for everyone. So those are both great forms of birth control also, as is, by the way, just like men get vasectomies, people with ovaries and uterus and tubes can get their tubes removed. So you can have your tubes removed if you are sure you're done having pregnancies. And if you're sure that you really want something permanent. And the added benefit is that it decreases the risk of ovarian cancer when your tubes are removed. So that's a bonus, but it's a surgery. So there's the downside. And then there's a bunch of other things that are really interesting. Like there's a vaginal gel called Fexi. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't. Yeah. Uh, I would not consider it the most effective form. Like their best percentage, I think is 92 to 94%. And that's with like perfect use. So I would use that in addition to something else. But the truth is, I also say, like, whenever I say to people like, are you using, are you using birth control? Oh, no, I don't use anything. And I say, okay, so meaning you're pulling out or withdrawal, which by the way, is a form of birth control. It's just not a very Mm -hmm. effective form, but it is. But their response will be, oh, no, I'm using condoms. But And I always remind them condoms are actually really effective when they're used correctly, meaning make sure you're putting it on the right way, not flipped upside down. 
Make sure it hasn't melted. Make sure you're not using an oily lubricant that can burst it. And if you rely only on condoms, but you have plan B, you know about plan B, the emergency contraception mm -hmm. as a backup, that's actually, again, very effective. So mm -hmm. some people listen to us and say, I don't want the next one on or an IUD or a pill or a patch or any of that. And they think that condoms aren't good enough. Condoms are good enough if you use them every single time and the entire time. I would say many people who get pregnant with condoms, it's because they use it most of the time, but not all the time. They thought it was that one time they were fine. He put his, you know, he was inside first for a minute or two and then he came out and they thought that was going to work or maybe it broke and they didn't take plan B. But again, if you're using it appropriately, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think it's pretty common knowledge and it's definitely something to talk with your physician about what's going to be best for you personally. Yes. Um, and, you know, your, your physician's going to tell you what pretty much exactly what you're telling me right now is yeah. like, it just really depends on the person and yes. what they're comfortable with and what they want to use. But I would, right. you should be using something. You should be using something. And again, ideally you would use two things, right? Ideally you would use an IUD and condoms or pill and condoms. And the re and the way to pick the birth control, like you touched upon is based on your particular set of risk factors, symptoms, all kinds of things. Because one form, like when patients say to me, what's the best form? There is no best form because you might love Nexplanon, but someone else might not. Someone else might love mm -hmm. the pill. Maybe you didn't, right? It really mm -hmm. just depends on things that we're trying to prevent outside of contraception. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, my next question, this is for the ladies. So BV, this yeah. is a very common thing within the swinger community, right? So we've got condoms. We've got new bacteria on, you know, different people. And I'm somebody who has struggled with BV for, it's been at least almost 10 years now, ever since mm -hmm. I was in my early twenties, mm -hmm. it was just something that ju just kept coming back. Right. I would do the antibiotics, the flagell, yeah. the, all mm -hmm. of it, and it would just come back. Mm -hmm. And so really the only thing that's worked for me to really keep it at bay and keep it um, you know, out of my system for the most part is honestly boric acid. Yeah. Um, Which is that's great. really been the only thing for me and just being, um, you know, making sure that like before I go to an event that I get tested for it and that I'm, I'm keeping up with my boric acid. I love that they make boric acid now and you can like buy it at Target because yeah. When I was in my early 20s and I had like I read about it on like a forum, you know, mm -hmm. like a random forum on the internet. And I was like making them myself. I was like going yeah. and getting suppositories right. and like making it myself. And now I love that they have it. So what advice do you have for BV, especially because it is so prevalent in the community? Yeah. Well, and again, I'm, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I'm glad to say this, that it's prevalent in all people who have a vagina. Like it's just a mm -hmm. very common thing. And again, it's highly stigmatized because just for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know what BV is, BV is bacterial vaginosis. It's caused by a few different bacteria. Gardnerella is the most common. And it's a bacteria mm -hmm. that we often just have in our vagina, but the yeast and the bacteria are ideally in harmony, kind of keeping each other at bay. And then something throws one of them off and the other one can overgrow. And mm -hmm. so BV, the downside, as you know, is it causes like a watery discharge, but also it causes an odor and it's a fishy odor. So that's the problem with it is that we think, oh my God. I mean, I joke all the time. Patients will call our office and be like, 
I think I have a fishy odor. And even my secretaries are like, it's a fishy odor. Okay, I know what it is, right? It's so common. So we know what it is. We know it's common. I wish it weren't embarrassing given that so many people get it. That said, it's the fishy part that nobody likes. And and you might know this, when the discharge hits certain things like semen in particular, the odor gets magnified, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people will say, God, I had sex and it smelled even worse. And that's very common. So first and foremost, the, the truth is that one of the best ways to prevent it once you've treated it is actually to use condoms. Because for many women, it's the semen sitting in their vagina that is causing it or women who are receiving oral sex from men or women because the saliva can throw off the balance. So unfortunately- I do not do cream pies because of this, okay, by the so way. Again, well, that's what I was going to say. So unfortunately, because of that, the best way to kind of prevent it recurrently if you are having sex and if you think that's the trigger. In other words, some women are getting getting it recurrently because of their cycle, because of hormone changes, for example. Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with sex in their case. But if you can, if you can kind of sense that like every time I have sex without a condom, I'm getting it. Or every time I have oral sex, then unfortunately, ideally eliminate those or use a condom or have them pull out, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one simple thing. Um, getting treated ideally with vaginal metronidazole instead of oral, you had said flagell, which is the oral metronidazole. I would personally always rather use vaginal. I know it's messy and annoying, but the truth is you don't want to take oral antibiotics if you don't need them because Mm -hmm. then they can also cause yeast infection and then they can also throw off your GI tract and things like that. That always happens to me too. I know, And This is what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's happened like after the fifth time, I was just like, and then I I did the uh, metro or the vaginal stuff too, yeah. and then again, you know, three months later, I'm here right. with this well, baby and so, again. Yeah, interestingly, we don't really even consider it like chronic or recurrent until you've had, and I always forget the specific what the CDC says, but three or four in a year. So if you're getting it every three to four months. You might not even be considered like chronic, but it's annoying. And so there are actually regimens where you would do instead of the five nights of the gel, you would do the five nights of the gel and then like one one applicator weekly, for example, or you could use boric acid. The one thing that is actually a little confusing and no one has a great consensus is whether or not these over-the-counter boric acid preparations at places like Target are considered as good as the ones that you can get from the specialty pharmacies. You can't walk into like CVS and have your doctor call CVS. I mean, I have a bunch of pharmacies that I know and rely on that I can call for my patients. So they're getting pharmaceutical grade BV that's being created there, but it's not at the commercial pharmacies because they won't make them. You need a compounding pharmacy. So are the formulas- So you can get that though, over the counter, you can get it or not over the counter, like your doctor. Yes, yes, yes. You can get it by prescription. I've, I've been calling that in for, again, two and a half decades. Um, it is a little bit more expensive. It used to be probably about a dollar a pill. So a bottle of 30, I would call in, would cost about $30. But at the time, there was nothing over the counter. Now there mm-hmm. is, I just don't know. You know this, that the whole supplement and um, that that entire system is totally unregulated in America. So does it matter that you're getting it at Target? I don't know. Nobody really has an answer. I think if it's working for you, you're probably fine. You yeah, have to be careful to not it swallow it. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. So what I do is I put it, I just stick them up my pussy real, you know, and I'll, I'll do it, you know, wash your hands, obviously. Right. And you just stick them up there at night. Very similar to like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're treating a yeast infection at night, just Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're not walking around and it's, you know, when you're laying down, it gets in there better. So I always, I've just always loved boric acid. And I remember when I would bring it up 
to my OBs back in the day when I was like, yeah, I read about this online. And they were just like, oh, well, we're going to give you this antibiotic. And I'm, and, and then finally I just stopped even having that conversation. Cause yeah. I'm like, but this works better for me. This, yeah. this yeah. is really good, pre- a good preventative. Yeah. And it really, I mean, the truth is cause you're acidifying your vagina in a way that it needs to be. So it doesn't allow the BV to the bacteria to kind of overgrow as bacterial vaginosis. So I think that's great. Good. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, with yeast infections, one of the common, I cannot go in a hot tub. Mm-hmm. I just, I have a very sensitive vagina. My mom had a sensitive vagina. It's just my age, my hormones, all of it, right? I can't use certain lubes. I have to use an aloe-based lube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the only lube that I can use without getting a yeast infection. Anytime something new touches my vagina, she's like, I don't like this, you know? Yeah. So I I just had to learn that too. Like yeah. I, when I'm at a swinger event, I can't go in the a hot tub because all of those, you know, right. that warm warmness. Something about it throws off. Yeah. It, that means that the bacteria, for, you know, we all have our own microbiome, our mm-hmm. own little balance down there. And so for whatever reason, the heat is throwing off your microbiome. It must be and causing that. And that's the kind of thing I will tell you that there are definitely physicians I hear who are like, there's no evidence to support that. But the honest answer is when we hear enough anecdotal evidence where people are coming in and telling us their experience, often there's not enough evidence because nobody has studied that. I don't think everyone's studying what's happening to every single person. Mm-hmm. So I always say like, I'll believe my patients. If they tell me this pattern is happening, then I would say, great. So then don't go in the hot tub. Right? Don't go in the hot tub. That's the only preventative because like I would wear, cause you know, they're, they're nude hot tubs. Right. So I would like wear uh, bottoms that didn't work. I would go yeah. and shower right afterward. That didn't work. Yeah. It's the only way that I am able to, to not get a yeast infection when I go to these types of events where there are these hot tubs is not go in the hot tub. Not go in the hot tub. Like, yeah. That's it. And I think and hope the community knows that they do not need to wash inside their vagina. You shouldn't be putting all the special washes that they completely predatorially want us to buy and spend a lot of money. If you're going to buy any of these special vulvar washes for the outside, have at it though. I don't think anyone needs them. I think they're expensive and landfill and everything, but certainly you don't need to put anything inside. And if you do, it really can throw off the balance again. So it's good not to do that, especially douching. Again, I'm assuming and hoping most people in the community know that douching really, it like obliterates everything in there. And people mm-hmm. think they're cleaning up, but they're really actually making it far worse. And mm-hmm. set up not only for BV and yeast, but that can actually increase your risk of getting STIs because it changes some of the balance that can be protected. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like that the whole, into- nobody's really douched in, since like 1995, hopefully, Good. Good. <laughs> you know, because we yeah. have this education, but like, that's not to say, you know, there's probably people out there still doing it, but I think really what I do is I just use, uh, you know, a, a wash and I just washed over, you know, and I don't put anything up there other than boric acid, yep. you know, Good. and that's, that's what's been worked for me and it's everybody's vagina, you know, is going to react differently to different things. And like, we all have different biomes. So like, yes, I may be very sensitive. Um, and this is, you know, I always tell ladies like, Hey, this is like the lube that works for me. You know, this is, uh, when it comes to toys and stuff like that, we have to make sure that they're really clean. So I'm just honest about it. And we, again, this is like part of that destigmatization process Mm -hmm. of all of this, just like, If you tell another woman, you know, if you're like, girl, listen, I am like very, very sensitive, you know, and, and I use like wipes after 
afterwards just to keep it clean. Um, you know, after we have sex, especially at like a swingers club, um, I'm I'm just honest about it. And I'm just like, listen, I've my pussy is she gets angry, you know, mm -hmm. at, at everything. So I have to be very, very careful. Mm -hmm. Um, so my last and most important, well, second from last, uh, is my, I feel like this is a really important question though. How can swingers prioritize regular screening, care for their vaginal health, all of these things that we're talking about, like what are the practical steps for them uh, addressing these concerns at a healthcare screening and hope, hopefully a non-judgmental one. Well, honestly, it sounds funny, but I would a just educate yourself. So it's good that they're even, they're even listening to this. It's good to get mm -hmm. educated, but I would come in with a list and I would have the list be, okay, I'd like to get tested for HIV, hepatitis, B and C, syphilis, and herpes. And those are blood tests. And I know it's not common to screen for herpes, but I'd like to get tested for it. So I would have mm -hmm. those written down if I were anyone in the community. I think it's good to be tested for it, right? Have it written down. Those are blood tests. And then mm -hmm. separately, I would say I'd like to get tested for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And I know that can be urine or it could be a genital swab. And then unrelated, make sure you're getting your pap smear at regular intervals every one to five years, depending on your risk factors. And make sure you've gotten your Gardasil vaccine and make sure you've been vaccinated for hepatitis B. Those are the two things that you can get vaccinated for to prevent. And I think have that written down. Like we all carry our phone, put it in your mm -hmm. notes app so that you go to your doctor and use and, and preemptively say, I get that again, herpes isn't supposed to be tested for, but I want to get tested. I get that I'm over 25 and that I'm not routinely going to be screened for gonorrhea chlamydia, but I want to be tested. And I think if you just make sure you do it regularly, again, ideally, I'd say every six months, because I think that's an easy schedule to stick to. You could also do, like I said, some of these mail order ones. It's just not, it's not, um, I don't prefer it as much, but I think that there are people who don't have access to getting to the doctor as easily or because mm -hmm. of work and things like that, they can't go. So you can also do some of these online companies that test for STIs. Yeah. And like shameless care is one of the big ones. Um, and the only reason why I advocate for them over any of the other ones is because they do a throat swab and that in the swinger community is it's just the reality, guys. We're not wearing condoms when we're yeah. given, you know, when we're given oral. Girls are not wearing dental dams. It's it's just the reality. And I, I think that that's really cool that they offer that. And it's also discreet. And I think that that's I think that that's probably the biggest one for people. Right. Because some people live in like small towns. Right. And your doctor is like your mom's friend, right. you know, and you're like, I don't want to tell my doctor that I'm non-monogamous because I don't know how my doctor's going to react and like obviously doctor HIPAA laws and stuff they shouldn't right. be going around but right. it's still something in the back of your mind is like oh my god what if it gets out what if my doctor judges me so like well and that's like why I was saying wouldn't it be better if everyone whether they think they're monogamous or not because even people who are mm -hmm. monogamous but they're dating someone for three to six months then they break up then they're dating someone else for three mm -hmm. to six months they don't have a problem saying that but the truth is they could easily be catching all the same things that the swinger community or that the married cis heterosexual community could be catching, right? Right. So, so that's why I think it would be better if everyone just routinely got tested. But if it was just, yeah, if it was away. just second nature to everyone. Yeah. 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 And we would, and less stuff would get, gets, you know, I think that we would prioritize that a little bit differently and it wouldn't feel as shameful and, you know, coming back to like the dirty and the clean comments, like that would just kind of not be a thing because yes. people would routinely be getting tested and it would yes. just be the, the societal norm, yeah. you know? 
Um, so any last words on how swingers, you know, can prevent all of this stuff, uh, STIs, pregnancy, and can you tell us where to find you on social media and tell us a little bit about the tribe called V, which I find very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, and again, I mean, it's not like I'm saying anything you guys don't know, but the truth is mm-hmm. condoms are really probably going to be your best friend for a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Period. End of sentence. Because no matter how careful you are, you're going to catch potentially something, but condoms are going to prevent the big ones. Uh, and they can find me mostly social media. I'm mostly on Instagram, Dr. Shiva G. Uh, and I'm trying to dip my tone to TikTok, but that place is really, I don't know. TikTok is a hard place. So I don't like to. It's a weird place now. If you had done it three years ago, it would have been, you'd be like, oh yeah. Yeah. But now it's, it's, it's an odd place and it's, it's hard being on the internet and being, um, even a sex positive educator like yourself that's tough too, because we're not even allowed to really have these kinds oh my of God. conversations. And, and the algorithm, especially on, even on Instagram is so really de, you know, deprioritizes things that are really valuable and important. Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram and then Tribe Called V is our online platform that is ideally growing and growing through more content. Right now, the platform is, has a pregnancy class that's really robust. So anyone who wants to be pregnant or is pregnant it's all the things that might happen in pregnancy, but in my voice in a way that helps keep people calm. So it's videos that can also be listened to as podcast, so audio as well. Um, and then we have a perimenopause class, which sounds funny to have those two things together, but you probably know there's a lot of people in the swinging community too, just because swinging community is regular people. They're, people are going to go through perimenopause that, yeah. and that happens as early as their late 30s or early 40s. So that's something important to know. And then I'm adding to it constantly. So I'll be adding more content or HPV, herpes, endometriosis, PCOS, contraception, pregnancy prevention. I mean, all the things that people go through during their entire course of their life with their OBGYN health that they never learn about, which is again, why there's so much more anxiety in the world, because mm-hmm. we're not learning about the things that we need to. Um, yeah. So and I think, I think for swingers too, like just, just kind of putting this out there in the universe, but for swingers, this kind of, you know, menopause, all that sort of stuff, Uh, even pregnancy stuff, all of it, not just STDs. Women's health is so, so important. And swingers are really looking for that. I can tell you, we've been to different uh, convention style uh, swinger events. And those are those classes, those women's health, those like hormones and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Those are like the most popular classes because so many of us are not educated on this, you know, and your your OBGYN is not necessarily having these conversations with you because they just don't have the time to do that, you know? So I think that that would be really beneficial. I'm going to uh, link it in the website in uh, the bio for this. But but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this you. has been awesome. And I really, really appreciate, you know, the candid conversation. And, um, you know, you're not a doctor who's in the swinger space. So for you to be the, in this judgment, non-judgmental space is really, really, really special to us. I think that's so important because you hear a lot of doctors who are like, they're already swingers or they, you know, already know about the swinger lifestyle or they're involved with it. And it's, it's really cool, you know, to have somebody who's not really involved with that, but definitely wants to educate. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This was fun. So I will, we'll chat again. And definitely, I think 
make sure that the community knows that, that first of all, they're just, they're regular people like everybody else. And so they need to follow all of the same, you know, rules when it comes to STIs and not to be scared because yeah. that is the worst thing is being scared of these things that we can try to prevent. All right. Kylie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for okay. riding along on the Pineapple okay. Express with yeah. me. Most people have unprotected oral sex, right? Be honest. Now think about your last STD test. Did your doctor tickle your throat with something that looked like a giant Q-tip? Probably not. Yet that's the only way to check for oral gonorrhea or chlamydia, which are often asymptomatic. You need a better doctor. You need shamelesscare.com. Use coupon code CHIC, that's C-H-I-C, at checkout 